0: Every entrepreneur sells. We all sell. Uh, To sell is human. And today on the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, we're going to talk to Dan Pink about the surprising truth about moving other people. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jansen. My guest today is Dan Pink. He is, on top of being a return guest, uh, he is the uh, best-selling author of some books, uh, Drive, Free Agent Nation, Johnny Bunko, really books that have, in my opinion, been some of the greatest in terms of being out ahead of the way we work and how it's changing. And today we're going to talk about to sell is human the surprising truth about moving others so Dan welcome back
1: John it's great to be back
0: so my dad was a salesman, and I mean in the true sense. He got up yeah. on Monday, packed the car up, took the bags, went out to the the small towns. In fact, he called on Sam Walton uh, back in the Ben Franklin days. Um, and and I loved it that you started this book with the, the, the Arthur Miller quote because uh, I, I distinctly remember him talking about, uh, you know, through the years, he would say, you know, everyone sells for a living. The only difference is that I know that that's what I do. Um, right. And I love that. I mean, that seems to be a really, really major theme. In this book, isn't it? Uh,
1: it is. I mean, it, 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 as your father figured out long ago, and as and as Arthur Miller wrote in that 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 sad but great play, *Death of a Salesman*, uh, we are all in sales, and especially now, uh, there's been a lot of changes in the nature of white collar work that has meant that whether we are actually selling in the sense of making a cash register ring, um, like your dad did, or you have, you have still one out of nine people in the U.S. workforce are doing that, um, but you also have uh, the rest of us doing things that are kind of sort of like sales. What I call non-sales selling—they're persuading, influencing, convincing, cajoling—and um, um, we're all, you know, like it or not, we're all in sales now.
0: Well, and and you, to quote from the book, uh, we all seek resources other than money, and I think that's a <laughs> that is a um, sure. a killer way to define that. Uh, and and you know. But
1: that's... Yeah. I mean, it's resources like time, attention, effort. And it's true whether we're at work. It's true whether we're with our family. I mean, that's just the nature of what it is to be human.
0: Well, here's what I'm uh, curious about, though, because I think in a lot of ways, we've always done that, whether we called it selling or not. I don't think that's really changed. But what I see the dramatic change is the role of the traditional salesperson uh, has certainly changed. I mean, in many cases, they can walk into, you know, used to be salesperson would walk in and, and inform the person about the, the product or the features or, or you know, the problems they were having. And now that person quite likely has more information about the, the product and the features and the problems that they're having uh, than that salesperson. So, uh, I mean, in a way, when I read your book, and, and by the way, first, I just need to tell you, it's a great book. Uh, hey, but uh, when I read the book, I, I found myself thinking, you know, this is for the traditional salesperson, certainly as much as it's for the entrepreneur or the business owner who finds himself so as well
1: uh, sure I mean and, and your point about information is exactly is exactly it and a lot of what we know about and it has a huge implications uh, so, so for instance in many cases the actual traditional salesperson was the holder and the receptacle of all the information so if you were to walk into even 25 years ago walk into a Chevy dealership that Chevy dealer knew more about Chevy's and cars than you could ever know um, and and now um, yeah, and and that has a number of different implications. It has an implication for what a salesperson actually does. It also is a reason why a lot of us kind of look down on sales. We think of it as sleazy or skeezy, because when the seller knows more than the buyer, the seller can rip people off. Right. Um, this is why we have cave emptor. So this world of information asymmetry is what defined the sales relationship for a long time. But as you're saying, John, that information asymmetry is ending, and so. When the buyer can know as much as the seller, that it's just a, it's not a change in degree, it's a change in, in kind. It's a fundamentally different activity. And, and so traditional salespeople have to rely on a whole other set of qualities and a whole other set of abilities. Well, yeah,
0: because, I mean, the only reason to have a salesperson is that that person uh, is adding value to the relationship or the conversation or, or the process, right. right? And so, so I mean, would it be safe to say that salespeople now have to figure out an entirely different way to add value?
1: Uh, I think that's part of it. They have to do – yeah, I mean, I'll give you one, one, one more sort of concrete way of, of doing that. I mean, it used to be that there was a premium in – if you look at the trajectory of, of, of traditional sales, what you have is you have – basically transactional sales, where the only way to buy something was through a salesperson, the only way to get the information you needed was through a salesperson. That, you know, has been ending for a while. And then suddenly we come up with this idea of we're going to sell solutions, that the job is to sell solutions. And um, I think even that is waning right now, in part because if people know, if prospects know exactly what their problem is, uh, they can... um, yeah, they probably can, find a solution on their own. Yeah, they can and commoditize so, it, right? <laughs> yeah, and so so today what, what matters less than problem – problem solving is still helpful, but what matters much more is, is problem finding, is how do you identify problems that people don't know that they have? Yep. Uh, how do you surface latent needs? How do you help them see their world in a different way? And uh, that's a very different and very sophisticated skill, and it's becoming one of the central skills. I mean it's, it's a skill that I call – or quality in the book that I call uh, – Clarity, which is actually making sense of murkiness, cutting through the muck and helping people see things in, in new ways. There's a good example of uh, Perfetti Von Melle, the, the big candy manufacturer that it makes Mentos. That's what it's most famous for. Their salespeople uh, now will call on retailers, uh, as they've always done, call on retailers, the bodegas in New York City or drugstores or whatnot, and what they'll do now is instead of saying, hey, you should buy this many Mentos, you should buy this, these kinds of Mentos, they basically operate as consultants for these retailers and say, listen, we've got the numbers, we've got a lot of data, here's what's going to work in your store. And so they'll recommend a mix of, of products that will include Mentos, but will also include products from their competitors, um, because they're helping these folks identify problems that need solving.
0: Well, and, and in some ways, w- would you, I mean, I've actually been saying for a long time, I mean, if, if the traditional sale, you know, if I don't need the traditional salesperson, meaning I don't need them to come knock on my door and, and, and you know, try to figure out what my problem is for me, um, if that role has gone away, then, I mean, are, in a way, are, are salespeople now, I mean, because what you just described to me sounds like what every marketing department should be doing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if, if, you know, marketing is the new selling.
1: I think there's something. I think there's something to 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 say for that. But I also think more broadly that just the whole the whole idea of 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 selling is woven through in everything that everybody is doing. So I'm going to give you another example. So I write a little bit about a couple a couple of technology companies. One is called Palantir Technologies, three hundred million dollar company in, in uh, the Bay Area. Another one is Atlassian, another software company, about a hundred and I think 120, 125 million dollar company. So these these folks are doing, you know, um, or maybe 250, these folks are doing, you know, call it a third, you know, a, a quarter of a billion dollars a year in sales. And uh, they do it without salespeople. They have no salespeople. How can you do a quarter billion dollars a year in sales without salespeople? Well, with, that's the question that I asked these folks. And, and they said, well, And they gave this kind of zen answer. Their view is that, well, we don't have anybody, we don't have any salespeople because everybody's in sales, that it isn't this discrete function anymore. It's part of what everybody is doing. So every time you, every contact with the company is a form of of selling. And that's one of the big changes that's taken place is that we tended to think that all kinds of functions inside of companies were very segmented. I did this, you did that. And now those functions are becoming much more elastic, and as those as those the skills that are necessary become elastic, one of the things that they always encompass is some form of sales, whether traditional sales or um, or, or or non-sales or non-sales selling. And so a lot of even our vocabulary for talking about this has become a little bit uh, a little bit antiquated
0: yeah and I, and I wonder, to a large degree that you know the the role that social media or that social media behaviors really played on that too. I, I think because you know you think in terms of now entire customer bases uh, that that publish information and uh, write reviews and and talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly, and i I think that it's it's made companies sort of have to acknowledge that fact that that every function is is or every certainly every touch or potential touch for yeah. the customer is a marketing function.
1: Uh, absolutely. And that, yeah. And, and that's, I, I, think they're, they're coming to that at some level, at some level very slowly. And part of that is because a lot of folks, I mean, you, you see, I mean, there's a bias against sell, against selling. This is why every marketing, every MBA program in America has a course often a required, almost always a required course in marketing. And very few of them have even a single course in sales yeah, <laughs> as if yeah. you know, making the cash register ring is somehow incidental to commerce. You know, Um, so so we so um, but I think that our view of sales and all of its dimensions is is changing significantly because of some big changes in the economy and uh, the qualities and and skills that people need are are changing, too. I'm I'm convinced that sales has changed much more in the last 10 years than it did in the previous 100. And so to navigate this new terrain, you need a different set of qualities and a different set of skills.
0: Now, I I think with. You'd have to put on a little weight, but I think you could do a good Alec Baldwin. <laughs> and and, and I, I'd love to hear you scream, attunement, buoyancy, and clarity.
1: <laughs> um, I,
0: I loved it that you brought that scene in. That is that... I, well, I, that's I, an epic scene. I mean, any,
1: any of your listeners who are in sales know that scene in, in the great in the movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, based on the great play by David Mammoth. This is actually the scene that we're describing here is actually not in the play. It's, it's special for the movie, where this young Alec Baldwin goes into this dodgy real estate firm called Mitch and Murray, kind of insults them, questions their masculinity, uh, and then tells these salespeople how to sell, and and he gives them the ABCs. And he says, A, always, B, B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. And that's our view of, of sales, you know, this steamroller approach. But now in a world where buyers have as much information as sellers, where buyers can do a lot on their own, where we're all in sales now, even if the cash register doesn't ring, that Always Be Closing has been surmounted supplanted by the new ABCs, which are attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. Attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. These are the three qualities that are necessary in either traditional sales or non-sales selling. Attunement is understanding someone's perspective. Buoyancy is so important. It's the ability to stay afloat in what one sales guy told me is an ocean of rejection. And then clarity is... Again, this move, which we talked about earlier, from problem solving to problem finding and also being able to frame your messages, frame your attempts at influence in ways that we know will persuade people.
0: You know, one of the uh, elements you have, and I'm pretty sure it was in attunement, is this idea of mimicking. And I think a lot of salespeople probably have been taught that and, and kind of get that idea. And I I remember early on in, in my career, I was uh, calling on an, an older uh, Jewish gentleman, definitely from Brooklyn. Um, and And had the you know the right out of central casting almost you know the accent and everything, right. and I remember I started falling into the pattern and and at about halfway through it, he said, "What are you doing <laughs> you know are are you mocking me and i thought oh this this isn 't working exactly like it 's supposed to, but it was sort of unconscious you know but, well, but it 's funny. but I think that 's a
1: really good point I mean mimicking is something that human beings do naturally, and it it typically it typically is unconscious. That is, it's it's a form of affiliation. It's a form of bonding. Um, and actually, you know, there's some, you know, the, the, these, these principles of attunement buoyancy and clarity come from a lot of the social science research. And one of the things the social science says is that if you instruct people to mimic, not overtly, but, but mimic, you know, but just be conscious of, conscious of mirroring certain um, gestures of, mirroring people's posture of repeating their own words back to them in a in a relatively mild way that that makes you more influential there's no question about it and it's not anything deceitful it's what human beings do if you i mean a great exercise for for folks interested in this is just to go to a um you know a train station or a busy downtown and just watch other people interacting and you'll see a surprise if you really look at it if you look at it like an anthropologist, or even better, you look at it like a zoologist, and you're studying this creature called human being, um, you'll see an enormous amount uh, of mimicking, and and that's you know that's really a core idea here in the book is that one reason I called the book to, to sell is human is that today being effective in this realm becomes requires being more human, not 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 be, not being a sleaze bag or an, uh, a robot, but being a more uh, normal human being who's trying to help people. Um, Make their lives better, who is attuned to what they're what they're doing and who ultimately is doing what they're doing in the service of something larger than themselves
0: yeah I guess there's a fine line between manipulation and and being authentic
1: uh there absolutely there there absolutely is and the, I think the curious thing is that especially now manipulation um, is a very bad long term strategy right because not only do you have first of all it's harder to manipulate people because everyone has relatively similar access to information. So, um, you know, you think about that with with automa with with uh, in, in auto dealers. One auto uh, dealer I talked to in the book um, told me that when she first started in as a, a car sales person, uh, the factory invoice of the cars was actually locked in the safe. So even the salespeople couldn't see it <laughs> now. You know, you can walk into your dealership with a factory invoice. Right. You, you know what the dealer paid for the car. Yep. And so, you know, you can't really, you, you can't manipulate and hoodwink people as, as easily. The other thing, which I don't think folks have figured out entirely, is that if you do manage to do that, if you do manage to dupe, hoodwink, manipulate people, um, people can talk back. Yeah, I right. mean, they can tell all their entire Facebook community. They can tell everybody on Twitter. They can blog about it. They can Tumblr about it. And so that's a huge change here. So when when buyers have as much information as sellers and buyers can talk back, um, it's a completely different enterprise.
0: You uh, talk about a a human characteristic, I guess we could call it uh, ambiverts. And and I think a lot of I think a lot of people tend to think in terms of the backslapping, joke telling—you yeah. <laughs> know—regional leader of sales, um, and and you uh, suggest that uh, there's a middle ground. Uh,
1: there, well, the data suggests that um, there's right, some right. interesting, yeah, there's some interesting research out. Um, actually, really, the first of its kind, looking at the connection between introversion and extroversion and sales performance. Now, as you say, absolutely right. Our view of effective salespeople is that they are very gregarious, backslappers, strong extroverts, and in fact, um, those are peop- those kinds of people are much more likely to get hired as salespeople. But some new research out of the University of Pennsylvania shows that if you look at the correlation between introversion extroversion and sales performance, um, the people who do the best. The the people who are strong extroverts are not very good salespeople. In fact, they're scarcely better than people who are strong introverts because strong extroverts, they uh, they don't like saying no. They like to be the center of attention. They talk all the time. They never shut up. Um, Now, strong introverts are not that great either because they don't know when to push. They don't know when to close. Uh, They can be a little bit timid. And so this research shows that the people who do the best are those folks right in the middle, which are ambiverts, people who are somewhat extroverted, somewhat introverted. And so if you're hiring salespeople, you don't want to hire, No, very few people would hire strong introverts as salespeople, and that makes sense. But they shouldn't hire strong extroverts either. They should hire the people in the middle, these ambiverts. And so it's really the ambiverts who are really doing, um, who who end up performing at a higher level despite the, the popular wisdom and despite evidence showing that that that, that that extroverts are more likely to get hired. They're less likely to do well.
0: Well, and I, and I think that that actually is not surprising to me. I think that that really supports this idea of elasticity, too, I think, because yeah, uh, that's a good the, point, yeah. the, the need for the well-rounded uh, yeah. approach, the teaching and and all the things that you talk about. Um, the, the book has a tremendous amount of exercises and my uh, guess is that you're gonna spend some time uh, and maybe you're already doing this but my guess is you're gonna spend some time doing some sales training um, over the next few years uh, just because I think people are really hungry for this and and I don't have have you created a program uh, as such if no not, no if, not at all if no. not I'd love to work with you on that we just <laughs> you know, no, it's,
1: it's good we actually I just I just took a little tentative step into the training business here by de- trying to develop a program around the ideas in another book, Drive. Yeah. So,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and, that's, and that's been working pretty well. It's pretty interesting. And so we'll see we'll see about this. But um, in the book itself, I also think that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity now. One of the great opportunities now throughout our world is the opportunity of some kind of self-education online and whatnot. So this book, while, you know, it makes this argument that we're all in sales now, that sales isn't what it used to be. We talk about, I say, you got to have these three qualities, attunement, buoyancy, and clarity. There are these certain kinds of skills that you need, but there are also all kinds of takeaways because I figure, hey, you know, people can do an exercise on their own or do an exercise with their team, and they don't necessarily need a formal training program for that. They can just read the, you know, look at the book, take an exercise or two, uh, retrofit it, and use it like that. And I think, you know, that's, um, I think that's, that can be really effective for people. But I think you're right. A lot of sales training is, is, is still stuck in the old world of, of inauthenticity and information asymmetry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in, in fact, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love you to kind of give a, a, a snippet of, a, of one of these, um, the, the time traveler. Can you, can you pull that oh, up? Oh, yeah, that's a really interesting one. Yeah, that. yeah.
1: That's, I'm glad you picked up on that because I think that's really cool. I've actually done it at my dinner table, too. So, this is an exercise in attunement. Again, attunement is, is how do we take someone else's perspective? And there's some interesting science behind that showing that um, you need to, that, that people who have a lot of power are less good at attuning themselves to others. You'd mentioned a little bit about mimicry. Um, we tend to think of, of attunement as kind of this very soft, Emotional skill, but it actually ends up being a much more sharp-edged cognitive skill And so one of the ways to get better at this is an exercise that um, is is actually an exercise from improvisational theater And what it is, it's quite fascinating, is you you take two people And you, um, one of them, you, you, you come up with a list You can do it in a group, so you get a group of people Everybody, You come up with a big list of things that didn't exist 300 years ago all right. What what kind of stuff didn't exist 300 years ago? So it could be an iPhone. It could be a lawnmower. It could be um, um, uh, airplanes. It could be takeout Chinese food, whatever. Um, and then you pair up in teams and one person plays the role of someone from 1712, 300 years ago. and The other person has to is the role of someone today and has to explain take out Chinese food or an iPhone or um, a football goalpost to that other person from 300 years ago. And it ends up being preposterously hard because there's so many, so much of what we talk about is built on a set of assumptions. And a lot of times our communication goes awry in that we're not attuned to what the other person actually knows. And so this is a really – first of all, it's fun. Second of all, it's a really good wake-up call about the need to be really attuned to who you're talking to and understand the world through their perspective. And we've done it – I mean I, have to, I hate to admit this. We've done it at my dinner table here with my kids who um, – and um, it's, um, it's, it's kind of – it's pretty interesting trying to explain a Big Mac to somebody from 1712.
0: Yeah, because we always you know we default to it's like oh wait that didn't exist either exactly
1: oh, like- <laughs> but you even have i mean you even have i mean even the big mac is a, is an interesting example because it's like you have to explain the concept of food being prepared by strangers which what? didn't really happen that much in 1712 yeah, yeah. you have to explain that you know uh one person eating a quarter pound of beef is a normal thing you know <laughs> Um, and let's not even get into
0: sesame seed buns. Right.
1: There you go. And so, yeah. Yeah. So it's it, it's another great exercise. And There are all kinds of things like that. And my theory of the case always on exercises and takeaways is things that are cheap and actionable. Um, and so I tried to I think we got about we got about 60 or 70 60. Yeah. But 60 between 60 and 70 tools tips and exercises in here to help people get better at attunement, buoyancy, clarity, to help them get better at pitching, to help them get better at improv, to help them get better at serving.
0: Yeah, no, that, I, I think it's awesome and uh, and certainly you know one or two of those exercises is is work. in fact I I get to give my stump speech again about the value of books, you know, for 12.95 you get you get that kind of thing that you can take away, uh, you know, books are the books are the greatest deal on the planet.
1: I, 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 I mean, obviously, I'm biased on that, but I totally agree with you. I, I just happened to go away on vacation uh, this past week, the week that before we're talking here, John. And, um, and, um, and I read a few books, and it was like, wow, okay, look at what – I mean, yep. took a few hours of my time, cost 20 bucks, and that was time and money very well spent.
0: Absolutely. So I want to I want to end up today on on one of my favorite uh, topics that you talk about, um, and I think that that's obviously for salespeople, for anyone uh, that that is an entrepreneur. Uh, this idea of of purposefulness um, that, that that that's coming through loud and clear. That that's becoming a core message. That that's becoming uh, a you know what we lead with, and and I think that that uh, certainly uh, as a salesperson and and again thinking attunement, uh, I, I think it has uh, become something that we didn't talk about doing maybe 10 years ago, and now has become sort of not only expected, but, uh, but very attractive.
1: That's absolutely right. And, um, you, you know, there's all kinds of really interesting social science evidence on, on this, too, that actually, if we're trying to persuade other people, influencing o- other people, that appealing to a sense of purpose is actually quite effective. Um, not only is it a good and noble thing to do, but it actually works pretty well, and that's a surprise for people. But that's largely because they don't try it. So, um, so there's an interesting experiment in the, that I describe in the book, uh, uh, having to do with um, a hospital trying to get physicians and nurses to wash their hands. And they end, and it ended up they ended up showing this experiment ended up showing that um, that reminding the doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals why they were in healthcare in the first place ended up. Uh, improving their hand washing inside of the hospital dramatically as dramatic as any other intervention that had been tried. Uh, and it wasn't appealing to their their. It wasn't giving them a snappy slogan. It wasn't uh, appealing to their self-interest. It was appealing to a sense of purpose. And I also think that, um, you know, salespeople who, who have a sense of purpose in what they're doing and who I, I'm pretty convinced, having talked to a lot of salespeople out there, that if you don't believe in what in what you're in what you're selling, um. You know, it's not going to work in the long term. You're going to run out. Of, you're going to run out of steam. Anything, any kind of scheme will work in the short term. I'm convinced of that. Unfortunately, in life, but the um, the sustainability of not believing, it, trying to sell something you don't believe in, is is limited. People can see through that, and the other thing is is that if you don't really believe in what you're selling, you're less likely to become an expert in it, and expertise matters a heck of a lot now in a world where problem-solving matters less than problem-finding. So having that sense of purpose in yourself and appealing to it in others is, again, not only a good thing for the world, but it's pretty darn effective.
0: Yeah, and I would say that that's certainly true of the of the of owning a business. I mean, it's just too hard to do this stuff. Exactly. If if you don't believe in it, if you don't like it, if you huh. don't, you know, believe it's uh, it's actually doing good. And uh, I think the trick for some people is to understand that uh, they need to capture that and and yeah. m- and lead with that because uh, people, you know, they either want it or they don't want it. But that's that's actually the good news.
1: That's a it's a it's a it's a it's a great point. I mean, I think leading with you know that that sense of purpose is. Or it, it's not—it's leading with it, but it's also just being, you know, kind of filled with it, being imbued with that sense of purpose can make you very effective in uh, moving, persuading, influencing people, as well as uh, selling products and services that you care about and think would make their lives better. You know, my view is that you know, it's, it's basically there's a, there's a very simple test: is like if if the person buys what you're selling, is their life going to be better off? And if the answer is no not only is it a moral mistake, but it's actually a business mistake.
0: Yep. So time to go out and get a new job at that point. <laughs> right. D- Dan, thank you it is always awesome. I know you keep busy and so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to share your thoughts on to sell as human, the surprising truth about moving others and you can get it where uh, ever and however you uh, choose to consume books. And, uh, uh, hopefully we'll we'll bump into each other out there on the road soon.
1: Fantastic, John. i look forward to that. All right. Thanks for having me on the program.
0: Thanks, Dan.